0: of where we're trying to head into this next session. What has my attention matters. And Bob talked a little bit about this when he gave us tactics and weapons. So we have weapons of warfare, we have tactics to stand firm in what God has done. But now I'm going to ask you a very simple question, but it's, An important one. Why are you fighting? What's the point? What are you fighting for? Sometimes it's, it's, okay, we're in a battle. Yeah, okay, I get that. We're fighting, we have weapons, we have tactics. Yes, okay, I get that. But to what end? Why? Why do I have to fight? It's an important question for you to answer because then you will start to understand some of the things, the keys that Bob was sharing, the keys that Alan shared, or that I shared even before that. Why I do it is so essential. Because I'm not just fighting for the sake of, Oh, I'm standing on the things that God has done, so I'm just going to do it. So what? What is going to be achieved from it? Think about a war zone, okay? If you're fighting for survival, it's a good motivator. Like if you say, I'm just trying to make it through the day. That's why I'm fighting. Sure, that's a good motivation for a few days. But then what? Okay, now I've survived, or I'm surviving. So what? Which is why in any international conflict or any place where there is a war zone, anything that's not a skirmish or anything that's just not a a short... A short battle somewhere, there has to be a deeper reason for why we're in this war. Otherwise you're ending up fighting something without understanding why you're doing it. Is that making sense? So for people who are in long-term conflict, and that's what I want you to understand what you're going through as. It's a long-term conflict. It's not the short game. The enemy doesn't care about your job. He doesn't even care about whether you get COVID or not. But if you can use certain things to usurp, to, to eat away at certain things in you where you lose the perspective of my house is not here. My kingdom is not of this place. Everything that Jesus went through was all a little, just little twists, little things to get him off course. But he says, my food is to do the will of my father. And for us as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to remember, He's not after the small things. He's not even after the things that seem to be bothersome. Our enemy is after undermining your walk with God in a totality. If there is a generation that follows after you, that they would be undermined. That ten generations from you would be undermined because of the distracted work that he did in you today. These are the things that I want you to just keep a hold of, because we're not dealing with just circumstances. So in a war, there has to be a goal that goes beyond the immediate win. Do I want to be well? Do I want to have a good job? Do I want to have my relationships all in order? Yes, yes, and yes. Yes. And we pursue those things, but with a view to a long goal. I am not of this place. I want to see the kingdom of God established while I'm alive. I want to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But not for my gain. It is well with my soul. When you say something like that, it's not saying I'm willing to accept what happens to me. But rather, it's a statement of, I know the rock on which I stand. So I'm willing to traverse, I'm willing to walk through rather than stop. Because the enemy of your soul wants you to just stop and try to get into survival mode. Survivors hunker down. Fighters push the front line. So there is things that we're experiencing in our society, in our families, in our relationships. These are all places where a war is being fought and I need to say, no. I'm taking a stand. So that's where that word stand firm comes from. And this is where it relates to what we're dealing with. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Put on your feet the boots... Ready with the gospel of peace. The problem is we think that's sharing Jesus with other people. Uh -uh. That's what the Sunday school version is maybe. But we're talking about a peace that anchors you in the... So it's like, you know, spikes? So Roman soldiers would have spikes on their boots. So what we're talking about, peace, the peace of God, is meant to be something that you can go, stick in the ground, and I'm not budging from here. Can peace actually be something that moves you out of a defensive survivor into someone who says, I'm taking ground, and then as the front line, as I use the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, right? I'm going to move forward and then take a stand again. Why? Because peace establishes me in a strength that is not my own. I'm not asking you to be the mighty warrior. I'm not asking you or me to be the guy with the plan. All I need to do is stand firmly in the work of Jesus and then take stands. Not taking dancing steps. You're not trying to do that. This is not a dancing game with the enemy. You're saying, I'm established in this, And now I'm not budging. And God will reveal certain things to you as you go on with life. And he'll give you another place to say, put your foot down on that. Now I can stand on something else. Does that make sense? So as you start to understand peace, peace is more than a feeling. Because when I say the word peace, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Any ideas? Turmoil. Turmoil or the opposite of, right? Right? So what does peace elicit in your mind? What are the the, the thoughts that fire immediately when you hear the word peace? Calm, quiet, quiet, feeling good, good, happiness. happiness. Anything else? Relaxed. See, these are all feelings of... I can put my hands down. It's a put my hands down kind of a feeling. And that is a gross misunderstanding of peace. Okay? So I want to erase that off the whiteboard for now. Okay? Our established understanding of the word peace, I want to take that off the board just for now. And where these, all these emotions that you're talking about or these feeling-based responses to something, where they come in. Because it is a r- relevant part. But it is not peace. Okay? So I'll tell, I'll, I'll, as we talk through these things, I'll show you where that comes back in. But there are two words in the Bible that are used for peace that are most commonly known. One is the Hebrew word shalom. Okay? So if you know any Jewish friends or you're Jewish yourself, you're very familiar with the word shalom. It signifies the word of peace which is spoken as a greeting in some cases but it is way more than hey go easy or you know may the force be with you kind of thing it's not it's not something that silly or plain it is very profound it is talking about a well-being that extends to every aspect of living Have you ever th- thought that peace is the word, life in all its fullness? How many of you remember John 10.10? So if you look at John 10.10, 10, it says, For the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it. That, word, that, that expounding of a thought is the word, I have come to give you peace. I have come to give you a shalom that fills life in every facet. So there's nothing that's deficient. So when you're thinking about the word peace, it's an absence of deficiency in any respect. So peace is meant to be something that is whole. There is no fractions in peace. Does that make sense? Okay. The second word that's used, we will talk about these words right through these weeks. Okay, so there's more to unpack there. The second word is a Greek word called Irene, okay, which is where we get the name Irene, for those of you who know an Irene. It is where we get this understanding of peace, but which is a harmonizer, a, a joining together, a bringing together. That first song we sang, you hold all things in peace, in Irene. You bring things that are shattered and broken into a billion pieces and you bring it all together. You hold it all together. So all the missing pieces you bring back to, again, here's that concept, wholeness. What was fragmented is now put back together. And why am I talking about this? So today I want to talk about a covenant of peace. So when the Bible talks about these things, God was actually making a covenant with mankind. And it's not a new concept. It's not like a, oh, darn it, they've messed it up. I guess I got to go fix it. Where our story usually picks up around the Advent season is Peace on earth. That's, oh yeah. And so, so the moment we see the word peace, Advent season, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. That's where we pick the story up. Uh-uh, this goes way back. This wasn't a, oh, I think I got to think about something quick. So let's send Jesus. This was the plan from the start. Peace was an overflow Of God's relationship with us. It was a definition of our status with Him. Everything that happened in God's home, in God's presence, was wholeness, was peace. By definition, everything that everywhere God was and His people were was peace. So I'm going to take you back to some familiar scriptures and we're going to unpack it a little bit. In Isaiah chapter 61, this is a very, again, Christmas season, this shows up a lot. The spirit of the sovereign Lord, God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. So this is where that gospel part comes in. This is not supposed to be, oh, I'm going to tell you what the options are. No, this is the good news that God wants to declare to you and to your household this morning. He has told me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort, again, here's the the context of peace, to comfort those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. It's important for you to understand that Jesus came with a mandate to bring peace to brokenness. And this is why I'm going to set this very carefully But I want you to hear it. We do live in a fallen and broken place, but He is our peace. Can you say that with me? He is our peace. peace. Do you live in a broken world? Who is our peace? So what is He? The fixer of things that are fragmented. So when I see you, when I see my life, And the mess I have made of it. And the things that I have not understood to date. The things, the truths that I don't walk in yet. He is the fixer. He is the holding together glue. Who has been given to me. We will talk about that more later. Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Here's that word, Irene, right? Among those with whom he is pleased. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, a light has shone. I want you to see that there was something that happened... From union and wholeness, suddenly there was a break. Wherever God is, there cannot be brokenness. I want you to start seeing that. If God is in the picture, brokenness cannot coexist, which is what is typified by the word darkness. God is light, in Him there is no darkness. Darkness. It's just two things that don't go together. So how can a God who is so perfect and everywhere He steps into, wholeness appears, how can we be part of this story when we're the ones sitting there far from Him? So we got to go back to the start of the story, right? This is why I'm saying this is not a modern concept. It's not something that was a, oops, so maybe I need to try and fix something. In the beginning itself, there was union with God. Where God was, we were. We shared a fellowship. So the, the Bible word for this is fellowship. Which is a union on a very close, on a close level. And this was something that we had right in the beginning. And then here comes the big S word, which is sin. And that causes sin is anything that does not believe in God. Anything that refutes the presence of God. Anything that puffs itself up. So it's not necessarily bad things. It's anything that takes the place of God being central. Anything. So in this context, you start to see that Lucifer fell because he started getting used to having worship times where he was the big dog. To put it mildly, he started to get used to the attention. Not bad stuff. And pride was found in him. Bob went through this from Ezekiel, and I so love the fact that we start to see some of the origins of some of these things. This is not a Garden of Eden problem. This goes way back. So we're talking about where God is, there cannot be fragmentation. But God says, I step into the breach as the one who holds things together. And I will, we'll go through scriptures where he's the one who, right now, Ephesians tells us, he's reconciling all things to himself on earth, in heaven, under the earth. All things are being joined together so that it fulfills the purpose that it was made for, which is to glorify God. All things glorify God. So that must be the sum result. So when we start to see where where humanity has gone off track, God says, separation has caused a lack of peace. So can you, say, can you see that word? So when sin entered, sin immediately caused lack of peace. What was, what was joined has been pulled apart. Now this is where we come, with, come to the concept of not having peace with God. Because now God is not connected to us. And we are not connected to Him. And that's the awareness that most of humanity has been troubled with, pursues in all kinds of forms. There are people trying to find God in all kinds of avenues. Why? Because this separation is a deep void that has to be filled. Let's continue. In Luke chapter 1, it says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death to to guide our way, to guide our feet into the way of. So when we talk about Jesus coming, so this is Luke talking about Jesus coming, but he takes that Isaiah passage and he expounds it. For those who have sat in darkness, he says, the sun has started to shine, and those people who are sitting there like, I don't know how to find my way, he says he guides our feet to the way of peace. So when you read in Isaiah chapter 9, the popular verse that we read at Christmas time, which is chapter 9, verse 6 For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It is important that you start to see that the goal of all of creation is to restore things to a place of peace. There is no more fragmentation. There is no more separation. So union equals fellowship. Sin equals separation. And that has been the malady that has been doing the rounds for ages. And Jesus came to restore us. But I want to take you back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Because you need to see where this started. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now, Alan went through some of this, right? He took us back to Genesis. He talked through this. But I want you to understand, in the Adam and Eve account, we're not dealing with just... Oh, so they ate the fruit and... Oh, so I guess their eyes were open. There was something very profound that happened. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they did what? They hid themselves from the bringer of peace. And from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man... And said to him, where are you? He wasn't playing hide and seek with him. It's not like he didn't know where he was. He's like, why? The question is more, why are you hiding? Why are you hiding from me? You know you can't hide from me. I created everything that you're hiding behind. So why are you hiding from me? And he said, now watch this. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was. That is the first symptom of a lack of peace. So, this is the first time in the Bible you hear the word fear enter. This is the first entrance fear makes onto the stage of human history. Now, God is your friend. What makes you think he is not your friend? Because you were afraid of him. They were not afraid that they were naked. Even though that's sometimes how people tell the story. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of him knowing that they had eaten and done something he said not to do. Immediately a conscience that was seared that said, I have sinned. I have separated myself from my union with God. So that's where fear shows up. And then go a few generations later. Now, now this is what I want you to see. These are all symptomatic. Now, there is no peace. Fear has entered the picture. Generations start going forward. Now, we're a few generations in, about eight generations in, The Lord saw that the wickedness in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil constantly. How do you get from I was afraid of you in the garden to literally devising every form of evil where now what we call the broken world? This is how long game your enemy is. He wasn't after the dang fruit. He wasn't after like, Eep, ya. got you to eat. No, it wasn't about the fruit. It was just the start of something that would undermine what God had already set forth. But we will find out. If you look at Romans chapter 1 verse 21, it expounds that thought about what God saw. He says, For although they knew God, all of these people had an awareness of who God was. They did not honor Him as God, nor nor did they give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were a darkness, a separation consequence Causes a mind and a soul to be so separate from the plans of God, from the purposes of God, that the devices of the man's heart starts to become evil constantly. Genesis six five, uh, ge- uh, sorry Genesis nine eleven. So now we're jumping forward, where God says i have to terminate all things because it had got to a place where all of humanity had become so evil people were killing each other left right and center every kind of abomination he says i have to put an end to it to so every living thing he says i'm going to start over and there we start to see this the account of noah and the ark and this is what god said to noah I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all of flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. It's amazing to see geologists and scientists of today discovering how some of the patterns that our world structure has gone through, the cataclysmic flood that our planet has gone through is regarded almost as common science now. From it being a Bible story. And every ancient literature has an account of this event. It is an amazing thing when you actually start to go back through human history and start to look at where God said, it grieved his heart that darkness undermined what he was doing, but he would not be undone. Like Bob said, it's not a battle between good and evil. Satan is not God's opposite. It's not like a fight to the end. Let's see who wins. Jesus won. God won right from the beginning. He cast him out. He didn't have an option to choose. Can I go here? Can I go there? He was cast out. So in this covenant of peace, what you need to see is he establishes his covenant with a guy called Noah. And guess what Noah, his name means. Noah's name means, I will give you rest. I will give you peace. That's what his name means. Now, I started, this, is, this has been a little while, I mean, since I was about 18 or so, I was reading through these things. Fun side story. If you're ever in the reading in the Bible and you're like, this is way too boring, this is just lame, just stick with it. There are some things that are hidden, like gold nuggets are hidden in plain sight sometimes. I still remember as a little kid, I was reading through, it was, you know, we were doing our family Bible reading time. And he came to, and this one begat this son, and the kid begat that, and then they had this son, and they had that son, and this guy. And I'm like, I can't even pronounce these names. So stupid. I got whacked by my mom. And I was, I still remember it to, to this day. It's so clear that experience. And she said, This is God's word. It is meant to give you life. The things that you don't understand, say, Lord, I don't understand. I can't pronounce it. and shalela behel and all of the I'm like, I don't know what these words are, I can't even pronounce them. And that immediate repulsive action of saying, oh, this is stupid, it's, or it's just or it's just nonsense until we get to the good part. Right? There is no skipping to the good part. It's all good part. So it's it's one of those things where I started to read through this and Right starting with Adam, and if you go all the way through Noah, all of their names preach the gospel of Jesus. And if I put up their names, I want you to see this. Adam means man. Seth, which is his descendant, his son, after Cain and Abel, the third one was Seth. He means Appointed. Enosh, which was Seth's son, means mortal. Kenan means sorrow or Canaan. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch, who was his son, means teaching. Methuselah, who is the oldest guy in the Bible, his death shall bring. Lamech, who is Noah's dad, means the despairing. Noah means comfort and rest. Now, if you put that together as a sentence, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching and his death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. Now, I did not plan that. I'm not trying to make it up. These are people who are in the genealogy. Now, if you're reading your Bible and you go back into Matthew and in Luke and stuff, you will start to see the story of Jesus. And you know that chapter which you skip past because it's like, the son had the son, and then there's a son, and the son, and the son, and he had a son, and he had a son, and he had a son. Okay, 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 get to, okay, and Jesus was born. <laughs> but all these names are in there. But you would skip past them. So when Noah... And the crazy thing is, you see, his death shall bring. Methuselah lived 969 years. And the year that he died was the year the flood came. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. It's amazing when you think about it, that after the fact that God's story of peace of declaring peace to people, never stopped. He would not be undone by the depravity of humanity. The the generation just after this, after Noah, guess what? They decided that they were going to build a, a tower that goes up to the heavens. And God had to separate all of them. So you start to see that everywhere man decided to get involved with the process of trying to bring peace to himself or glory to himself, God could not be in the same zip code. So there has been an enmity with God that you need to understand. It all goes back to these generations. But God declared His intent right through all that chaos. Right through all those generations, He says, I have declared my peace. Now you see this verse in Isaiah. You see it in Luke. You see it in Jeremiah. You see it all over the Bible. You see that God chose to come down and show us Himself, Show us who He was without being cloaked in anything. And He says, I will give you rest. So now when you read Luke and you see glory to God in the highest and peace, this has been declared since the beginning. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come, now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are as red as crimson, they shall become like wool. God's intent was to take a people that were so hopelessly stuck in their condition and say, I will do something for you. I will do it. Because you have no way of finding your way back to me. It requires me to make a covenant of peace. And this covenant of peace, and this is one aspect of the word peace, is there is not going to be war with you and me anymore. That thing inside of you that immediately makes you afraid when I come into the room, that part of you that immediately ducks when you see God in the vicinity, he says, that, that I want out of the way. Before we can talk about tranquilo, before we can talk about, let's chill, we need to talk about, why are you afraid every time I walk in the room? Because we are all chasing a little bit of peace of mind. But you can't get to a little bit of peace of mind before you get to, why am I afraid when God looks at me? That's why Jesus came. This covenant of peace is so central to everything. Isaiah 43, verse 25. I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. For whose sake? Because He knows that if He leaves us by ourselves, we will figure out a new way to mess things up. But for the sake of His heart, to have you in relationship with Him, He says, for my sake, I will blot it out. Isaiah 54 and verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Do you hear God echoing through Scripture saying, Stop fighting with me. I am not your enemy. I am here to help you. Adam, where are you? Because there is a guilt that you carry that says, I cannot go before God. So for us to remember that when God talks about His covenant, in Ephesians 2 verse 17, He says, He came and preached peace, To you who are near, and to those of you who are far. Right? For through him we have access through one Spirit to the Father. So now I want you to understand through the work of Jesus, and all of you in this room have the opportunity, and if you haven't taken that opportunity, I would encourage you to do it today. When you hear God walking in the garden, don't hide. He is not looking for a way to hit you. He has come to declare to you peace. Whether you feel near God or whether you feel far away. He says, I've come to speak peace to you. And peace in the context of we're not enemies anymore. So you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is where that concept of family, church being family comes from this, this deep concept that peace is what holds the family of God. We're not at war in this unit. So when we fight, we're not fighting our own battle amongst ourselves, trying to figure it out. No, 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 no. We're now in the household of God. You're under the covering, and we will talk about this next week, which is now the peace of God. But you first have peace with Him. He is not your enemy. This is dramatically different from the peace of God. So now do you understand when I say peace is massive, it is massive. But if you don't understand that God is not someone to be afraid of, that changes everything. How I perceive the places where there are failings. How I perceive the places where I don't know what to do and how to fight this battle. Peace cannot be a stand-firm place because I don't know if God's angry with me. Does that make sense? So when I say, put on the armor of God and put on the boots of peace, which is good news, how is that good news? Because peace is no longer good news to me. I need something more potent. Ah, the peace of God is the most potent thing that you will ever encounter. Romans 4, but this was done for our sake also, that for anyone who believes in Him, so this is talking about, it's in the context of Abraham believing God. It's a simple act. For anyone who believes God, takes God at His word, God says, I will join myself to you. It's a simple act. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The simple act of saying, Lord, I believe you. I'm not going to try and be the guy who figures it out or how to fix the mess I made, quickly tidy it up before you come in the room. Uh -uh. I'm not going to quickly go get fig leaves and try and cover up. I'm not going to try any of that. I believe that what you say you will do, you have done. So when you say Jesus has come to take my place, when you say for anyone who believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, I take you at your word. For my trespasses, for every place that I have gone against you, and you have been raised to bring me to justification, to bring me back to level place, to a level ground where I'm no longer... Wondering if I've done enough. And guess what the next verse says? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by such a simple faith, we have peace with God. There is no more war as it pertains to God and me. The war has stopped, God is no longer my enemy. Now, let's actually deal with the war out there. Because I'm no longer fighting the battle of, is God going to hit me on the head? Is, is he... Uh, so you're trying to fight this issue with your kid, or your family, or your finances, or your relationship, and then part of you is like, is he teaching me a lesson? Is he... Is he uh... Is he paying me back for what I did when I was in high school? Or, ah, no, 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 no. If you have done the simple thing of saying, I put my faith in Jesus. Now let's go back to that song lyric, right? I've put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. And we've seen it right from Adam going forward. So why would he fail now? He won't. Now do you see peace with God is a big statement. It's not just a, oh, I feel cool about where I'm at right now in my life. No, 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 I don't care whether you feel cool cool about where you're at in your life. Because that's not peace. That's what the world calls peace. A little bit of peace of mind. And look how hard we work to get a little bit of peace of mind. Peace is a position. And then peace is a virtue that flows too. But it starts as a position. I am where God is and I'm not afraid of Him. Wherever God is, there I am. So where is God right now? In your life? What are the places where you are trying to fight a battle and then still figure out where to include God in the process? wrong way around. It starts with saying, I place myself firmly where Jesus is. And that's where Ephesians chapter 1 opens up. Let's read that. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him. So where, when we go in Him, that's the only time this happens. So He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Note, through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of? His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved Son. So Jesus is the one He loves to the moon and back, put it in our language. Jesus is His favorite. And He says, You're with Jesus? You're fully covered. If you're with Jesus, you're fully covered. Your tab is not just accounted for, it's fully paid, many times over, going into the future. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. I could not earn this, you could not earn this, and He says, out of my good pleasure, because I delight to do you good. This is what it means... Peace on earth and goodwill. I have the desire to do good to the earth. My desire is not to sit there like a taskmaster saying, I'm going to smack you. going to smack you. That's not God's heart. He says, my desire right from the beginning, even before the flood, was to do you good. Which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of His will. Do you see how so many of these things were hidden? Just in that genealogy I showed you. What happened in the flood. What happened through Abraham. What happened through David. All of these things. I was just sitting there reading the genealogy of Jesus the other day. First of all, it's really cool that there are, He had three great granddads who, was, who were called Judah. But what's even more cool than that is the fact that you start to see Boaz, who was Ruth's husband. You see the story of God being woven in there. You start to see David, the king, who was a shepherd boy, who is his great-great-granddad, many times over. So all these generations following all the way right up to Adam. He makes known the mystery of all of this. He says, guess what guys, this is it. I'm going to show you all of these things that have been in code pretty much for all these years. Here's Jesus. Look at Him. According to the purpose which He set forth in Jesus Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. He set it forth as a plan. The enemy thought he was doing some big trickery in the garden. He thought, oh, I got them at the flood. Or he thinks, ah, I got them at Babel. Or he thinks, yeah, I got him when Abraham had to palm off his wife as his sister. You know, he, he thinks that he can subdue or distract or set off course. But God would not be undone. To unite all things. Do you see that word there again? What is he doing? For the fullness of time too? Bring all things together. Things in heaven and things on earth. I want you to understand as we finish that the declaration of peace to you is not a small thing. So when we celebrate Jesus has come, peace on earth and goodwill towards man, it's not just a song. It's not just a cute chorus. It's him saying, you don't have to worry about me being your enemy. You don't have to be afraid. Walk with me. Spend time with me. We will talk about this from 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Fellowship has to do with light and union. Where there is union... There is a flowing in things of God that doesn't it doesn't take effort. But where there is sin, there can be no light. Where there is sin, there can be no fellowship. So what does it do when we are people who believe in Jesus but still sometimes sin? 1 John tells us when you sin if we confess come to him stop hiding. Don't hide. Come quickly. Repent. He is righteous. He is able to forgive you. He is able to set you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Just stop hiding. Never have God ask you, where are you? I just want to close there for today. Lord, I thank you that you have declared peace over us. Lord, that you are not our enemy, that you are on our side. I ask, Lord, that this truth would be revealed by your Spirit, Lord, in a very deep and personal way for each one in this room and anyone listening online. That we would never sit in our own strength trying to please you. Lord, that we would recognize that you have come to bring us peace. That the war between you and me has ended. That Jesus is not only my Savior, But He is the restorer of everything that is broken. So right now, Lord, over each one in this room, we refute the lie that I am broken. We refute the lie that my life is a mess. We receive the truth that Jesus is my peace. We receive the truth that I have a position with You, Lord, that means I don't need to fight You anymore. I don't need to look around the corner Lord, I ask that you would anchor our feet in these truths, Lord God, that we might be able to stand effectively and fight with the tactics of of praise, of declaring your word, of, of doing the things that you have taught us to do in these past few weeks, Lord, that we would effectively handle these things, knowing we have peace with you. So, Lord, I declare this over these people and anyone listening online, Lord, that your peace would be spoken to them. In Jesus' name. Let every striving cease. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.